Oh, hi. It's uh, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio. Hi there. Hey, how's it going? Hello. This is Brad Spangler. Gary's on the line also. Who am I speaking with? Oh, it's uh, Stefan Molyneux from uh, Freedom Aid Radio. Uh, Brad, you and I had a chat with Wendy a while back about voting. Stefan, it's so glad to hear. So good to hear from you. It's uh, great to hear from you too. How are things? Oh, they're going okay. I'm working on trying to set up uh, this uh, first of a series of conference calls among bloggers here. It's just a little bit of an informal conversation uh, about you know just the general direction of uh, market anarchist blogging and so forth as a tool to spread our ideas. And uh, you know, not a whole lot going on right now. We're we're just you know, trying to set this up as a uh, communications tool to try to see what we can do. Sounds great. Yeah. Hi, Stefan. Oh, hi. And who are you? Uh, I'm Gary Chartier, and uh, I, uh, uh, I'm, uh, well, I say far away. I'm reasonably far away from Brad, but I'm not actually sure where you are in uh, the uh, greater L.A. in California. And uh, where I, I'm an academic, and uh, as I was saying to Brad, uh, don't find many people who are rushing for opportunities to uh, talk about anarchism. Right. Well, you're certainly warmer than I am. I'm I'm up in Canada in mid-November, so <laughs> I'm sure yeah, you're no. having a nicer walk than I am these days. <laughs> Whereabouts in Canada? Um, Mississauga. It's just outside Toronto. Oh, okay. So it was a, it was a pretty exciting election. Oh, the election? Yeah, is that that was was that the general topic was elections or was it something else? Yeah, it, it was. I was going to, um, you know, really not not really even start on that topic until we have more folks on the line. But really, if you want to talk about it, that's great. Um, basically, what I was wanting to do was was get feedback from a variety of people as far as uh you know, what direction people saw U.S. politics going in. Now, obviously, we're not trying to elect anybody, okay? Right. Or, or at least not as a group. The, the point is, though, that because this forms the, the, the backdrop, so to speak, or, or, or the, uh, the rhetorical terrain that we're fighting our, our battles on, so to speak, uh, how is this going to impact our strategy and, and approach to uh, trying to spread our ideas. Uh, right. it, Stephen, do you have any thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I've, uh, I've done a, ser- a video series um, on voting recently. And uh, I mean, my, my very brief thoughts are that I think that the election of Obama is a very good thing because, okay. because what's happened is you've gone from old school, southern, patriarchal white guy to right. multicultural, young, black, um, well-educated, non-military, like you've gone from one, you, you couldn't, you know, within the current system, you couldn't have more ex, ex, a more extreme candidate swing. Right. And so yeah. uh, in a video I did recently, I was sort of saying that if, if nothing changes, you're not going to get a bigger change in the heads of government, right? So if nothing changes... At this point, you have to start to question the um, the system. That's very perceptive. That's very perceptive. Uh, because I mean, we we can't you you can't sell someone a cure until they know that they're sick, right? So to speak. 
And so the, right. to me, the main goal has been to try and get people away from this fantasy that voting is going to change the system because that's what gives government the illusion that it's a free market environment. You know, that we participate, we're part of the social contract, we give them sanction, we, we have a choice, and right? So when you have a choice, you feel like you have a responsibility. And uh, so for me, it's just, I'm really trying to pound people that, uh, and I did a really, <laughs> I'm trying to learn from, uh, uh, from uh, really passionate speakers these days because uh, I, I'm trying to put a little more fire in the belly, and I did a really fiery speech about this. Um, and uh, just saying, you know... I'm sorry. I was going to say you do. Sound, I was about to say you do sound, uh, in contrast to some of your earlier audios, you you do lately sound more like a, what's the phrase, man on fire, and 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 it's actually a, a refreshing improvement. Yes, I think uh, I think I wanted to make sh- I wanted to build some credibility before <laughs> lighting the fuse, so to speak, because otherwise you just sound like some, you know. So I wanted to lay the intellectual framework for for the theory, and right. then I wanted to let rip because, like it or not, you know, I mean, um, passion uh, is uh, passion gets eyeballs, right? And and so uh, I'm really trying to um, uh, tr- just trying to light people up to this this possibility that they that voting doesn't do what they think it does, right? Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled in a way because Obama's not going to be able to change anything, right? As, as I said in a podcast once, it's like ch- changing the hood ornament on a car that's going to run you down. It doesn't really make much difference, right? So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that with this big, quote, change in government that um, uh, – and, and also that, that, that people will get that, that voting won't change it. And also, I mean, Obama's economic advisor has been heavily involved in – uh, working over the national debt. So Obama knows exactly that he can't make many changes. I mean, the whole, the, the, the steering wheel is cut because they've no, there's no fiscal uh, legroom, so to speak. So, I mean, when he gets in, uh, and I made all these predictions, you know, he's going to say, well, but because of this financial crisis, we can't do what we want to do. And, we, and then there's going to be an eruption of violence in Iraq because the last thing that the Muslims want, the extremists want, is for the troops to leave Iraq. I mean, that's that's why they did 9-11 was to get the troops so that they could get at them in the same way they did with with Russia. So so there'll be an eruption of violence. And I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So there'll be an eruption of violence in Iraq. Is it? Well, we can't get the troops out of Iraq because it's become more unstable. And, you know, I can't do the health care thing because the financial crisis. So, I'm, you know, the, the election breaking stuff is going to happen within a couple of months. And um, uh, so I just trying to give those predictions and, and remind people that um, all of the energy that they devoted to trying to change the system is um, merely encouraging the system. And uh, so so I, I hope that that will help give at least some people in the same way that the Ron Paul candidacy did, right? I mean, uh, through my criticism of the Ron Paul candidacy, um, I did get a lot of people who came over and said, wow, you, you, were, <laughs> you were kind of right. You know, it, it really didn't work out that well. So ho- I right. think, you know, the more people try and fail, you know, we, we, nobody cheers failure, but the more people try and fail that which doesn't work, the more open they'll be to, to other solutions. At least that's, that's my theory, uh, best I could come up with, with the situation. It, it, it sounds like what you're saying, and, 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 and if this is correct, then, then I would say I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty close agreement with you. But would you characterize your position as basically there are all these different false alternatives and the sooner the whole list gets checked off, the better. 
Absolutely. You know, like it's um, uh, what we talk about is a, is a kind of chemo, right? But as long as people think that doing the chicken dance is going to cure their illness, they'll keep doing the chicken dance because it's a lot more fun than chemo, right? Right. Um, what okay. do you guys think? Gary, do you have any thoughts to add? Uh, thanks, Brad. I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just continuing to, to chew over those, those uh, insightful observations. I think I'll, I'll keep them on for the moment. Okay. Um, well, I wouldn't characterize this as, as uh, any sort of policy or anything as far as the, the C4SS.org effort, but just my own personal opinion, um, I, I think that as market anarchists, we're, whether we like it or not, the, the radical end of the larger libertarian movement. And unfortunately, that libertarian movement has a tendency to when a conservative is in power, it skews slightly more left. And when there's a center leftist like Obama in power as the president, then it skews back more toward the right. Um, I, I think that we may want to try to break that tendency. And the reason for that is... is um, the reformist or moderate wing of the libertarian movement um, blurs into conservatism so seamlessly hmm. that the very word libertarian has been synonymous with with right wing or or conservative or you know libertarianism libertarianism is regarded as a type of conservatism as far as you mean sort of uh, the old school Goldwater style William right Buckley Goldwater style, style right. uh, Ron Paul types to, and and a more moderate Cato Institute wing. Um, and sorry, would you say that that also includes the um, highly minarchist objectivist groups? Well, for what purposes? Uh, the, the reason being, I, I've noticed that several um, objectivist groups have been uh, particularly bloodthirsty warmongers in the past few years, uh, to, to the point where I'm personally tempted to just write them out of the libertarian movement in in general yeah it's kind of it's kind of you mean the the peacock uh, you know bite the head off a of bat speeches that, that that have been going on yeah yeah the the, the ones where it uh, it just seems like some sort of, of uh funhouse mirror uh image of of what objectivism was supposed to be in the first place so not that i count myself as an objectivist but uh, i i like to think i've studied it well enough to have at least a, a semi-accurate uh, idea of, of what an objectivist position on things would be, and it, it's it's become a self-parody um, during the war on terror years. Well, the moment you try to influence policy, principles become completely expendable, and they always are expended. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your other point. Uh, uh, you were talking about the um, the left-right libertarian swing. Oh well. Basically, where I was kind of going with that was simply, I think that, my personal opinion anyway, is that we're going to make, need to make an effort to attack Obama more from, oddly enough, the left. And um, that's because there's a natural tendency to swing back more toward the right uh, when there is a, 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 a center-left president in power, you know, like, like during the Clinton years, for example. Hmm. Uh, moderate libertarian support was uh, essential for the Republicans regaining control of Congress in 1994. 
during the, the so-called contract with America. Oh, so it's, it's the seesaw theory, and, right? And like, sorry, it, it's the seesaw theory, like if we've got someone heavy on one side of the seesaw, we need to put a few anvils on the other side to balance it out? Is that is that where the libertarians get, get sucked in? Well, that's not what I'm advocating, but that's what I believe has been occurring, is in that you know there, there's a natural tendency to you know swing to the right when there's a leftist in the presidency and swing to the left when there's a rightist in the presidency. Right, right. Uh, leftist or rightist, as far as the, the mainstream definition of those terms, anyway. Uh, and what I'm actually saying is that I, I believe in order to break free from that and try to break the um, false identification or, or uh, conflation of libertarianism with conservatism, we actually need to do the work to develop a more characteristically left-wing yet thoroughly libertarian critique of uh, the ruling class, so to speak, from uh, you know a, a what could be characterized as a far-left perspective. Um, it seems like that's a that's a very fruitful prospect, but we've got not only the uh, the inertia that leads to the uh, the seesaw phenomenon you've described to overcome there, uh, but also it seems to me the active tendency of many people in the media to just reflexively assume that whenever uh, people uh, who are broadly libertarian use the rhetoric of the left, they're really doing it in bad faith. And uh, it seems to me that there's a uh, an extra hurdle to be overcome there, is there not? Well, I, uh, sorry, I would just say that that's my experience. That's a concern. Uh, when I right. when I put out podcast, I have a podcast called Loving the Lefties, um, and whenever I put out stuff that is sympathetic to left wing perspectives, particularly on issues like uh, war, imperialism, and so on, where the leftist critiques are. You know, fantastic. I mean, you, you simply can't talk about this stuff without addressing Noam Chomsky, and I think he's entirely right in his analysis of this stuff. Um, I find that I get a lot more I get a lot more hostility when I sympathize with the left than when I sympathize with the right. So I, if that, you know, I think that, that buttresses up what you're saying. Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that comes out of a, that comes out of a lot of objectivism uh, to some degree, some some libertarianism, but but for sure um, uh, it is uh, it is something that um, uh, I think you're right. People are going to try and swing to the right in a way that they didn't swing to the left as far with uh, with George Bush. I believe that to be the case. Um, now, obviously, we can't just drop everything and become Maoists. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no? Okay, sorry. Let me check that one off. Okay, not Maoists. Uh, okay, yeah. I'll, th- I'll drop that as a topic. No Mao. Yeah, Mao's right out. <laughs> but I look a little fabulous uh, in one of those little tunics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was that uh, Will Smith line from uh, Men in Black? You know what? I make this look good. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I got the forehead to be a Maoist. Surely that should should help. So what? So what specifically um, do you mean in terms of a, a leftist critique of uh, of Obama? What uh, what sort of stuff do you mean? Well, that's something I'm actually uh, at this point still struggling to articulate. I think that um, we may want to be doing things like looking at what some of the the more radical implications of libertarianism might mean in uh, terms of um, the the S-word, socialism. 
Um, for example, things like uh, Rothbardian property ethics in the context oh. of uh, things like the mortgage meltdown. I mean, oh. Uh, oh. Uh, is foreclosure really an example of uh, property rights being asserted or property rights being denied in the context of an environment where banking is essentially um, the the bookkeeping efforts of a, a state subsidized or, or cartelized banking industry. Well, so, you, uh, I think you could make a very strong argument that once you get government controlled money supply, there are no such, there's no such thing as property, right? Because uh, all property is, is the value is measured in dollars and the dollars have been socialized and of course continually bleed value as they use the hidden tax of inflation. So to me, property rights uh, are, are not enforceable when you have a fiat currency controlled by a central bank. And I'm sure that the, uh, um, uh, that the, uh, uh, the socialists would agree with that because that was one of the platforms, of course, of the communist manifesto. So um, the the fact that he's going to avoid uh, that Obama's going to avoid talking about uh, this um, corporatism, right? Because I I really like the way that the leftists uh, identify the fascism within the system. Uh, that they talk about how the I'm sorry. Could, could I interrupt you just for Could I interrupt you just for a moment? Yeah, I believe I heard a, a tone or two that may have indicated we have a couple new callers or at least one maybe. Sure. Hang on for just a moment. I'm going to try to. Hello, is anybody new on the line that just joined us? Feel free to speak up. Hello? I heard that beep. Or too deep. Uh, okay. Um, I just did a menu command that says there's still just three callers on the line, so perhaps someone joined our call and then immediately dropped off for some reason. I, I could have sworn I heard a couple tones, though. There must have been an, ex an entrance tone and an exit tone. So, uh, I'm, please forgive the interruption. Oh, no, no, that's right fine. Ahead. That's fine. Of course, we want to welcome okay. people. Um, but I was just tossing that out as an example. That's a, a thoroughly libertarian argument, yet it's one you would not hear from a constitutionalist. It, right. it, 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 it's not a Ron Paulian argument. It's not something you're going to hear from the Republican Liberty Caucus. It's not something you're going to hear from the moderate to even centrist uh, wings of the Libertarian Party, even. Okay, you might get something vaguely resembling that from a radical wing of the LP, but mostly you have to get further, quote unquote, left of the LP uh, to the ranks of Stephen Molyneux and Brad Spangler and so on and so forth into the, you know, the, the, the more radical anarchists to, to get that, that essentially free market libertarian argument. Uh, but it's also a, uh, from the perspective of socialists, that is a thoroughly socialist argument also. Uh, because what it's basically saying is this property held by uh, these factions of the ruling class are, 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 is not legitimate property. Now, what we're saying for as libertarians is that it can be legitimate property, but it's not the legitimate property of the people you're trying to take it away from or, or, or that are trying to kick out the residents. Rather, it would be the legitimate property of the people that are residing in these homes that are facing foreclosure. Does that make sense? It does, and I, I think it does. And I'm just, oh, sorry, I'm just throwing that out as one example of, you know, uh, one of potentially several different positions that sound almost quasi-Bolshevik, uh, yet can be, you know, addressed from a, a, a thoroughly free market libertarian perspective. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. Uh,
and you know, it seems like there are then a number of other uh, moves that uh, you know that can be can be made there uh, to emphasize the degree to which the positions of the Obama administration seems to be uh, moving toward articulating are ones that really are. Uh, uh, designed to benefit uh, particular uh, corporate constituencies, right. uh, the extent to which those policies tend to, in fact, uh, you know, undermine the economic security of poor and working class Americans, precisely because they amount to interventions in the market on behalf of, of big players. And, right. Uh, I mean, I think that's right, and I, I think that one of the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't interrupt you. No. No, I, I was winding down. Please go ahead. Oh, I just I just mean that um, uh, the way that libertarians of the political bent tend to attack the war on drugs, uh, they tend to attack welfare, but they don't tend to attack what the leftists would call corporatism or something like the the um, uh, the globalization movement and and some of the um, predations. Uh, that, that corporations go for. And of course, th they don't see that corporations are socialist constructs as much as the welfare state. And, and that corporations were specifically invented to shield the ruling class or, or the, the, um, uh, the, the corporate owners from liability and responsibility for losses, that they were not a free market invention, but a statist in invention. And that's where I think one of the real divides is between the left and the right within the freedom movement, that as you say, the, the the people who are more on the right tend to criticize the uh, the the, uh, the the programs which are supposed to benefit the poor, while the ones on the left tend to criticize the programs that benefit the rich. And uh, I think that's a real shame. I mean, I I like doing the <laughs> I like mixing it up, right? Talking about corporatism with uh, the um, the rightists and talking about the welfare state with the leftists, and it really does tend to open up some fertile ground. Stefan, don't don't ever feel ashamed for being consistently libertarian. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's I mean, mix it, up, mix it up all you want. Yeah, but it's it's tempting. Sometimes it's tempting to speak to you know to preach to the choir, so to speak, and to preach counter to the choir can be uh, can be a challenge. Okay, okay. Well, I'll tell you why. Again, strictly as my own personal opinion, I I personally think it's actually more important to appeal to the left. And it, it, it's really it is it, sort of a half-formed idea uh, or, or theory almost of social change, and that is this in, in a nutshell: that libertarianism has been, in terms of its its body of rhetoric, not the, not libertarian theory itself, but the body of rhetoric developed in support of libertarianism over the past few decades has been written or developed to appeal more to the right. And what has happened is that we've developed an appeal to rightists, yet it is leftists that are characterized more by their devotion to ideas. Um, because conservatism is not an actual ideology. Conservatism is more of a tendency or stance. And I believe what libertarians have been hitting their head up against the wall about, so to speak, is that conservatives are not actually influenced by ideas. They're influenced by emotions. Marx called them reactionaries. They're reacting to the new ideas proposed by the left. 
in order for libertarians to win the war of ideas, we have to at least be more engaged with the people who are concerned with ideas. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not trying to insult conservatives to the extent to where I'm saying, you know, they have no ideas at all, it's, or that they're, you know, incapable of dealing with ideas. But as a, conservatives tend to not be swayed by ideas. You can argue with a conservative over and over and over again and win the argument, and they will not change their mind. Mm. That that that's the point, and 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 it, and it, well, and when all is said and done, they will say, "Well, but you're just too radical." Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, uh, they, they, you 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 can win the argument over and over and over again. You can win the argument every single time, over and over and over again, all day long, and the conservative will not change their mind. And leftists are not, are not necessarily prone to either, but I believe. Or perhaps I'm hoping at least <laughs> that um, the so-called left is more in tune with um, the, the whole concept of ideas, and that they may be more inclined to change their mind if the argument gets won over and over and over again. Well, I think you're right, and I think the but, other thing that just to just to jump in for a sec, I think the other thing that's important is that. It, it clearly what we have is a multi-generational project, and therefore I think it's important to focus on younger people who are more open to changing their minds uh, and um, who are generally more on the left than on the right. That's true also. That's true also. We need to focus on the young, and the young skew left anyway. You know, it, it really seems to me that... Um, you know that there's there's tremendous potential there if you can highlight uh, you know two things as as Brad was suggesting earlier but but not perhaps elaborating on as much right now uh, the real importance of a genuine class analysis that is consistent with and supportive of uh, a, a libertarian approach and uh, at the same time a uh, an authentic uh, acknowledgement to folks on the left of the extent to which uh, the conversation we're having is a conversation uh, about means rather than ends. That if you can say, look, you know, I am no more excited by corporate power than you are, but I'm just not convinced that the way to deal with that is to enhance the power of the interest group that is the state. I mean, I think it's, it's got to be crucially stressed uh, in a way that allows people to get past the prejudices that I think they have, uh, they uh, experience whenever they hear the word libertarian and think, oh, that's just another pot-smoking Republican. Right, but one who's even more harmful to the poor who they say they care about, right? Right. right. Well, but I think the, but I think the point is that you can yeah yeah exactly. And so I think you have to figure out how to blunt that precise uh, kind of knee jerk uh, knee jerk reaction. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I've done a um, I did a video. I just did a review of uh, based on a bunch of requests of uh, this um, movie Zeitgeist Addendum, which uh, came out, which is a good analysis of the the money stuff, but but goes all bong laced hippy dippy on uh, social change. And uh, just makes the most egregious economic errors that you can imagine. And um, it's confusing people because basically I say it just comes down to it's the game show, gun or no gun, right? That's all it comes down to. It doesn't – you can call it government, corporate, union, welfare, war. It doesn't matter. It all comes down to 
is a gun used uh, to to create change? Is, is the initiation of the force deployed? And I think that's where I've gotten a lot of agreement with people because there is almost nobody who will say, I think that we should deal with social problems using violence. I mean, nobody can state that up front, right? And we get a lot of, so people say, oh, the welfare and so on. It's like, well, but we should not try and solve the problems uh, of poverty by using violence, right? And just hammering that point over and over again, that seems to be the magic phrase that uh, unlocks the possibility of new ideas for people. And it seems like in that connection that it becomes really important for stressing the degree to which anarchists have um, a big tool bag that you know if you abandon if you abandon violence, uh, it doesn't therefore follow that there are all kinds of other ways you have of influencing the behavior of individuals and groups uh, nonviolently that don't fit into the uh, the you know the paradigm of the commercial transaction. And it seems to me that there are folks who who think, well, if you're talking about market anarchy, you're not talking about the state. You're automatically therefore assuming that uh, the commercial transaction is going to resolve every every social problem. Uh, your your tool gets tremendously limited, and it seems to me really important to remind folks of, of how many options you've got once you put the, the statist option off the table. No, that's, I mean, I think that's bang on. I just uh, wrote a book uh, recently called um, Everyday Anarchy, which is just talking about how, as people always say, well, give me an example of a of a, an anarchist society, and I say, well, well, that would be you, right? I mean, you got your job without violence. You have your marriage without violence. I'm sure that you don't discipline your kid by throwing them into a jail cell. Uh, you have a voluntary. I mean, you you get together with your friends, not at gunpoint. You you you, uh, you make the decisions in your life. Um, who to marry, what job to have, uh, um, uh, what hobbies to have, what friends to have. You make all of those decisions based on voluntarism, and you have huge ways of influencing people. You don't pay your friends to come and spend time with you, or at least I hope you don't, unless you're Charlie Sheen, I guess. But um, uh, just reminding people that, that anarchism is not some abstract future utopian society, but it's actually the life that you live um, now. And, and that really helps people to understand that it's not – a theory that they don't understand because that's and, – and of course, if, if the government came along and said, here's who you have to marry, people would say, well, no, I want a completely free choice in a marriage partner. So they desperately love anarchy and if the government said, well, you, this is the job you have to take, say, people would revolt, <laughs> right? So people love voluntarism in their life. It just, it's really hard to get them to cross over that bridge to understanding that what is good for you is is actually good for everyone and and it, there's so many other as you say the toolbox is very large the toolbox with the gun is just one thing right absolutely can you just repeat the name of the book since i'm going to go hunt it up oh it's uh, it's totally free you can get it uh, from my website in audiobook or pdf there's a okay. yeah so it's uh, it's called um uh, there's 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 three in the series. Um, I just wrote them uh, over the uh, over this year. The first is called Everyday Anarchy, and, and it's it's very short, and I, I think it's uh, it's well read. I hope so, anyway. <laughs> and um, the second is Practical Anarchy, which is um, an ex exploration of a variety of non-status solutions to the general social problems. And the third is How Not to Achieve Freedom, which is a passionate and <laughs> occasionally bitter attack upon the mistakes of political libertarianism and how empirically for 300 years we've tried to use politics to reduce the power of the state and people seem to be utterly blind to the escalating failures of that approach and just keep doing the same thing over and over and I sort of go into why. 
And uh, I think those three are, uh, uh, yeah, entertaining. The, the, the second one you probably know uh, quite a lot of, you know, like how anarchism deals with roads and, and healthcare and the money supply and so on. But um, I think the first or the third would be, uh, would be may, may have some stuff that would be helpful for you. And because it's free, you can, you know, hand it out to anyone you think would be, uh, would, would find it useful. There's been about 20,000 of these downloaded so far, so it's actually quite good. Well, I would like to be able to stay on the phone longer, but it looks like I need to wrap this up on my end. Would you gentlemen be open, not necessarily committed to, but open to the idea of having a bloggers conference call once a month? I would be totally down for that. Um, I think that would be great. Okay. Okay. Uh, then what I will do is uh, later today I'll publish a uh, new event listing for next month's conference call. We'll try to make it, uh, let's see, today is Saturday, November 15th. So let me pull up the old calendar here and try to pick a similar Saturday next month. Or is there a certain particular day and time that works better for you, Steph? Uh, no, this uh, this works great. Uh, works, works well. It <laughs> works great. <laughs> Saturday morning, 10 a.m. is what really works best for me a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So looking at December, I'm seeing Saturday the 13th, 13th, I believe. And that's actually a couple weeks or almost a couple weeks before the the actual holiday holidays. Um, So that might actually be our last chance to really uh, not be a cramp in people's schedule anyway. Sure. So... uh, Maybe uh, a December conference call, December 13th, uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Sounds good.